Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back to another episode of Kitchen Club with me, Serena Lau, and my wonderful friend, Sarah Malcolm. Kitchen Club is the weekly podcast that brings you conversations from our kitchen table. Each week brings a new guest, a new area of expertise to get stuck into, and a new recipe, this time created with our guests' three favorite ingredients that are in their kitchen right now. We also ask our guests to share their healthy habit, which is something that enhances their well-being and makes them feel just really great. This week, we're chatting to Lizzie Carr. Lizzie is an eco-campaigner, conservationist, author, adventurer, and stylist magazine's inspiration of the year. She's also the founder of Plastic Patrol, a global movement to clean up our planet and keep litter out of nature. Plastic Patrol combines community action with disruptive technology to gather important data for scientific research into pollution by man-made materials. We spoke to Lizzie about her amazing initiative, Plastic Patrol, how our plastic consumption has changed during the pandemic and why recycling may not be the simple solution we think it is. Lizzie's three favourite ingredients that are in her kitchen at the moment are asparagus, sweet potato and peanut butter. So keep listening to hear what we made for her. Here is the absolutely inspirational Lizzie Carr on Kitchen Club. Hi Lizzie, welcome to Kitchen Club. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm really, I'm really excited to be here. It's such a shame that we're not meeting you in person, but... Lovely to have finally found a time to chat with you and, and we've got so much to ask you. Yeah, I know it's uh, difficult in lockdown, isn't it? But at least we're here having a chat now. Yeah, exactly. We're going to dive straight into your ingredients, Lizzie, that you told us. Your current three favourite ingredients in your kitchen right now. And they were, would you like to tell us? <laughs> oh gosh, I can't remember. Sweet potato, asparagus and peanut butter. Yes. Yes. Great three, I must say. Um, And Serena has created a recipe for you. So if, if they're still, if you haven't eaten them all yet, you can make it tonight or whenever you're ready or sometime this week. But Serena, tell us what you've created for this week. This week's recipe 
I'm really excited because it doesn't have tahini in it. And I feel like every recipe so far this season, someone's been like, oh, I just love tahini. Um, <laughs> so this week we are having a vegetable katsu curry. But the twist is that the curry sauce is kind of peanutty. So it's like breaded sweet potato, asparagus, and then depending on what veg you can get, some courgette or some aubergine or some peppers with either quinoa or rice and a delicious katsu sauce and a cucumber salad. Very nice. <laughs> normally we would cook it for you, but today we just have to describe it, sadly. Does that <laughs> hungry now? Yeah. Does that tickle your taste buds, Lizzie? It does, yeah. Send <laughs> the recipe over and I will try and recreate it. Probably yes. badly, but I'll do my best. <laughs> Is there anything about those ingredients, Lizzie, that like any sentiment behind them or emotional? Um, no. I think not really. I just love peanut butter. Mm. I've always have done crunchy, crunchy the better. Crunchy. Um, Favorite brand? Um, well, I've started is it Meridian, the ones I've started buying. I was um, yeah. there was one I was buying before, and then somebody told me even though the palm oil is sustainable, you can actually get Meridian, which has got no palm oil at all. So I've moved over to that now. Yes, great. I used to be a firm Meridian girl. Now I'm picks through and through. Pip and nut. You're a pip and nut girl. Yeah. Yeah, I am. I also love Pippa Nut. <laughs> we'll, just, we'll just put that out there. Let's get into all the all the questions we have to ask you then, Lizzie, because we've yes. got a lot we want to speak to you about because you're fab. So, Lizzie, you've had a pretty epic journey so far and a huge battle to get to where you are today. Um, you were the first person, I think this is so cool, the first person to paddleboard the entire length of the British waterways in 2016. The first woman to paddleboard solo across the English Channel in 2017. And the first person to paddleboard the entire length of the Hudson River in 2018. So like all I can think is how strong your arms must be. <laughs> and you're cool. That was, the last one was two years ago. So uh, how did you come to be where you are today and, and how did you end up leaving your corporate job to become an eco-campaigner and conservationist and paddleboarder extraordinaire? Gosh, it's such a massive story. Um, and hearing you say that back to me also, I sort of look at it and think, is that my life? Did that actually happen? <laughs> I still even now don't really process what, what's gone on. But um, I suppose the very start of it, was my cancer diagnosis that was the catalyst to absolutely everything changing and I don't think without that I would have become an eco campaigner I don't think I would have started paddleboarding so I owe a lot to that life experience and um, but yeah as soon as I had the diagnosis I took up paddleboarding as just a way of getting fit and, and healthy and um, because it was low impact and it meant that I could do some I could do something active without it being really exhausting because my body just wasn't up to doing anything sort of mm. anything high impact um and the only reason I started paddling was because I've gone to go save my dad after radiotherapy treatment and he lives on a, a tiny island um off the end of Cornwall called the Isles of Scilly and it's really useful there by the way if anyone hasn't been then oh, absolutely go. Go. um mm. and he lives right by the beach so I remember sort of after the treatment just being sat on a beach with him one day overlooking the ocean and seeing somebody in the distance paddleboarding and I thought oh that looks so good I really want to give this a go and I don't know why I had this kind of um unrealistic confidence in my ability and found a local paddleboarding company up the road and they were like have you done it before and I was like yeah how hard can it be <laughs> um, I don't know why they go they let they lend me a board let me go out I must have convinced them that I knew what I was doing <laughs> um 
took the board and just had a little paddle around the bay that he lives near. And honestly, I was just hooked. It was it was just everything I needed it to be at that moment in time. Like it was great physically, but also, and what I didn't expect was the mental benefits that came with it. And um, yeah, that kind of set the path then into doing all my paddleboarding adventures and um, going back to London and seeing this huge problem with plastic pollution on the waterways and um, where places like London in big cities is really, really bad. And just trying to find ways to communicate that problem, but using paddleboarding and adventure as a, as a vehicle to do that. Such a great initiative to start and like what a journey that is. It's incredible. And then how did you decide to go on to what what made you think like right I'm gonna paddleboard the British waterways the whole length and the English Channel like that's such bravery and determination it's incredible they definitely didn't come at the same time it was was (laughs) an evolutionary uh, process but the length of the waterways I was I was using the waterways because I lived in London. I was using the waterways a lot to paddleboard. Like obviously I'd started in the Sillies where it's like beautiful crystal clear waters um, and there was no rubbish. It was pristine. And then I'd come back to London and there was just rubbish and plastic everywhere. And seeing, I suppose the real turning point was a bird's nest. It was a coot's nest that I saw and it was the nest itself. It had eggs in it and it was just full of plastic. Like it was made of plastic. So like straws, wrappers, all that kind of thing. And it was just a really awful moment like that. You kind of look at it and think, we created all of this. Yeah. And it's invading nature in such a way now that when those eggs hatch, that's the first thing they're going to see. That will be part of their norm. And people are commuting to work every day and past these canals and rivers, myself included, before I'd quit my job, in this complete sleepwalk and not really seeing what this problem looks like because you've never really looked at it. Mm-hmm. And obviously 2016, when I first did that challenge, was a time when no one was really talking about plastic pollution in the way they are now so I was I sort of had a look at it and thought if I could paddleboard the entire length of the inland waterways and try and bring attention to what's happening not on our, not in our oceans where at that point like about 95 to 99 percent of plastic sinks and it's completely irretrievable but before it gets to our oceans on our canals on our rivers and show people what that problem looks like at the very start and um, maybe it might start changing some habits. So I did that that first 400-mile journey. It was the length of the um, the UK waterways, the connected waterways. How long did that take you, 400 miles? I was just about to ask that. It took 22 days to complete. So 400 miles, 22 days. Mm-hmm. It was really tough. Everyone's like, oh, waterways, canals, rivers, how hard can it be? Like, yeah, believe me, it was really hard. I can imagine. <laughs> I can imagine. So this all led you, Lizzie, through finding the bird's nest made of plastic to... Plastic Patrol, which is your incredible initiative. Can you tell us a little bit a little bit about Plastic Patrol? Did that happen straight away when you started to see the plastic pollution in the in the waterways and what Plastic Patrol has become now? Obviously, at the current time, things are on hold, which we'll get to a bit later. I want to ask you some yeah. stuff about that. But yeah, just tell us a little bit about Plastic Patrol because it's incredible. That again, it was sort of a bit of an accident the way that all started. So I was when I was paddleboarding the length of England, I was using that journey to photograph every bit of plastic that I saw on that on my route, and I and I was plotting it in an interactive map that I built, so I could show people what I'd seen on my single journey, and um, 
I was using the hashtag plastic patrol to really on social media just to show people like it was just a way of collating all of the photos that I was sharing and it wasn't it wasn't intended to be any more than that and then when I finished that first challenge much to my amazement it had just the word like got out about it and there was this huge kind of um public and media support around what I'd done um and people were asking me how can I be involved how can I support this what can I do and this was people all over the world I was getting messages from people in sort of Thailand Russia Australia and I and I there was I couldn't get them to come paddleboarding with me they couldn't actually join me and, and be part of it so I developed an app for people to effectively crowdsource their own data about litter from anywhere in the world in real time so they literally would find rubbish with their own paddleboarding cleanups or otherwise um, photograph it and log it in this in this interactive map and and give details about things like the brands and the amounts of litter and the, the type of litter that they're finding and then the other side of it was the people that were in the UK that were messaging me and saying how can I support it I borrowed I think I borrowed five boards from a paddleboarding company and um, my boyfriend's van which I crashed, but we don't need to talk about that. <laughs> um, and I just drove around the UK in this like van that was far too big for me. Um, just inviting people to paddleboard completely free. I just wanted people to have the experience that I did. I The reason I cared was because I'd been out and I'd seen it. And it, it when you're on the water, the problem is magnified significantly. You get a completely different perspective of what's actually happening. And I wanted other people to have that experience. And if I could change one other person's mindset, the way mine had been changed, then it was a step towards progress, in my opinion. So that's where it all started, was just me cobbling together a few boards of van and a few people to come out and paddleboard with me um, and a nap. And then obviously over the last four years, that's just grown and grown. I mean, you're very blasé about it, about it all. You're like, oh yeah, I just created an app and um, so cool. know, collect, collated the data. Like that's It's incredible. and what an amazing thing to do and I think it's so um it's so important that that's happening and you're not just sort of pointing fingers at people and you're really trying to make a change and understand where the plastic is coming from um rather than just like stop using plastic stop throwing it that's a really important part of not just plastic patrol but me and how I am as a campaigner like I'm definitely about like doing an action and I think I probably sound blasé because for me, it was, it was very matter of fact. It was like, this just needs to be done. I just need to get on with this. I just need to find ways to make this stuff happen. Like I was really clear about the fact that we had to have data. We had to have evidence because I talked to brands and because they couldn't be held to account, they didn't care. They knew that yeah. they could do anything. So I was like, right, I will find a way to hold you to account. I have to show you exactly what this problem looks like and how you're responsible through like undeniable evidence that we've had provided from people all over the world yeah and picture evidence yeah I bet some of the pictures are so depressing unfortunately yeah honestly like I'm I don't really get surprised by some of the stuff that I see anymore which is sad because I want to be sort of surprised and shocked by it but I think I'm a bit like desensitized to it now um but oh just the things that end up in the waterways like how did it even get there because that's the question like we've I found a Wendy house once <laughs> And it's like, how, obviously it's implied, it's like, how does someone get from the point of like removing that from their home or wherever it's been and just dropping it in a canal or river? Yeah. This leads very nicely onto my next question. 
<laughs> because I've been obviously looking at your Instagram intensely over the last few days. And some of the things you found part of a Donna kebab shaft that smelled so bad that it made you vomit. Yeah, I've had that. That's a few disgusting. Times. I know. Honest, I don't want to put people off doing this because it's great fun. But it is also <laughs> there are <laughs> there are aspects of it that are quite disgusting. And it's often what you find is that you get a lot of like bags that are sealed, and we undo the bags. We want to see what's in them and if yeah. there's anything in that. And you, there's a lot of them. Um, I don't know what. I don't even know what it is, but it's stuff that makes you gag and vomit. So you did this amazing post showing some of the things that you had found and like some of the cans and the wrappers dated back to the 70s and they'd hardly degraded at all, which is like, it's really terrifying. But it really tickled me because you had found a gun in Hackney in a bag being weighed down by bricks and you'd written, we don't just save the environment, we solve crimes. <laughs> I love that. I appreciate that. <laughs> Uh, but it just made me think about you know what are what are the most common things that you're finding like is it wrappers or is it a lot of period what's the word period waste um and like are there areas that are noticeably worse affected than others I mean I presume in the city obviously but within the city and stuff like do you see do you see kind of patterns throughout the waste distribution yeah, the most common items that we find are bags and wrappers and bottles um, and cans as well, which isn't really plastic. And that's another, um, that's a whole other kind of conversation, how it's evolved now just from like, one material of plastic. And it's actually just lots of single-use materials that are a problem in lots of different ways. Um, so they're kind of like the main offenders that we find. And it's just symptomatic of that throwaway, convenient culture that we're all existing in. Um, and then in terms of patterns and hotspots, it's, it's generally quite obvious. If, you, if it's somewhere that's really densely populated, we will find a lot more litter. If it's quite rural, we'll still find a lot of litter, but it won't be as obvious. You have to really sort of dig into the reeds and that's where you'll find things that have been there for, you know, 20, 30 years. Did you, did you take the guns to the police? So we were, um, we were part of a big event. And there was security guards there anyway. So we got them involved and then they got the police involved. So the police came down and had to take a statement. It was all very dramatic. Um, it was it was it was like really interesting though, because it's definitely been sort of the most ex- uh, it's exciting the I know what you mean. Use. Like it's it's negative. Yeah. Something like that. I mean it's better than a day at your desk, isn't it? Doing that. <laughs> and what about the areas, Lizzie? Was there places around the country that are more affected? Um, to be honest, it's hard to say because we haven't run cleanups everywhere around the country. So it's kind of biased and it's a bit skewed because it's based on our data. And I hate naming and shaming locations. I just think it's unfair because they're not necessarily the worst. It's just the worst based on what we know and the information yeah. that we've gathered. Um, but definitely the major cities are the ones that really stand out when we're on our cleanups. Come on, step up your game, London basically (laughs) so Lizzie what can um two questions on this then what what can we do to get involved with plastic patrol I know it's kind of skewed a little at the moment but and then also what can what can listeners and and everyone be doing to reduce their plastic consumption at home um what you need to get involved would probably be download the app and if you're going out on your daily exercise for a walk or you know walking the dog or um, taking the kids out, whatever, just photographing any litter that you find. If you're not comfortable picking it up, 
that's fine. Obviously, it's the preferred thing to do, but um, just having that data and showing sort of what that litter looks like, where it is, who's responsible is so, so important for us. And that goes back to our partner scientists that analyse it all. And, and every year we produce a, an impact report um, that kind of shows exactly what the problems are and really like drills into the information that people are finding. So I think people can feel, especially now in lockdown, quite helpless about what their contribution is. Um, and I can't really articulate how important the, the sort of the data side of litter picking is. Like if you go out and you just pick things up and put them in a bin, that's great, but it's never going to solve this problem. Yes. And it's a massive education piece to get people to understand that it has to be coupled with evidence and it has to be coupled with this information in technology in some way um, so that we can really make a difference. So if, if people are going out and they want to do something productive and sort of contribute through citizen science, then download the Plastic Patrol app and, um, yeah, just basically don't underestimate how important just one piece of litter would be to that data that we're collecting, especially now that we're not running as many, we're not running any cleanups at the moment. Mm. Um, we need all the data that we can get because our cleanup is such a great sort of feeder of that, that data. Um, and then ways that you can, or I have, um, reduced my plastic at home. I've actually really struggled, to be honest, to reduce my plastic in lockdown. Um, because just the way that everything's working now, access to the shops that you would normally go to, like the privileged life that you've led or whatever, is um, is kind of been denied from you for a bit. Um, but I've been able to do my local greengrocer, and I'm sure a lot of them do around the country, so I urge people to look at this a bit more. They've started doing deliveries, and 95% of the fruit and veg that I'm buying is um, um, like unpackaged. Um, so it means I'm not necessarily having to get all of that wrapped in plastic at least and then yeah. just in the supermarket you're trying to buy as big as I possibly can to stop any excess waste and um, growing my own herbs at home trying to start growing some veg and stuff just the usual kind of things really how do you think um and we don't really want to dwell on the on the pandemic too much but but it's obviously having an impact on the environment and um I think the first thing that sort of shocked me a little bit was um even before lockdown was announced and I we were in Suffolk and I went to get a coffee from a lovely place in Suffolk and I had my keep cup and they're like oh we're not taking keep cups um so you have to use a cup and I was like huh and obviously it is yeah it's caused everything to sort of change so much and and switch around and obviously our health is the most imp important thing right now but what do you what do you think is sort of either coming from good from this or or bad because I keep thinking like oh surely it's positive because there's so many people who aren't you know going to the prayer every day and buying sandwiches and bottles drinking bottles of water so what are your thoughts on on all of this and how it's sort of shaping the environment yeah it's really it's a really good question and it's a really big question so I think first of all as a, a sort of a campaigner in this space right now it's quite frustrating because we've seen a lot of um environmental commitments roll roll back and eased 5p tax on plastic bags for online orders have been removed um like you've said then places like starbucks and other outlets not letting you use reusables for health and safety reasons um there was meant to be a new law come in that stirrers straws um would cotton buds plastic cotton buds would be banned from april 2020 now that's been delayed until october 
2020. And it's just, for me, I can't understand why these measures that have been put in place and have been going ahead until now and green-lighted are suddenly just being stalled. Like, it doesn't, they, they, they sit in parallel with the pandemic. It's not like that, that will impact what's happening. Um, and then you're seeing a lot of lobbyists uh, across Europe and America that are campaigning to have other pieces of legislation lifted around plastic. Because obviously the plastic industry is desperate to keep production going. Um, and it's been working. Like you've seen some of these laws um, lifted, particularly in the US. Like Again, plastic bag bans um, have been changed um, at the moment. When it comes to things like medical equipment and PPE, I can totally understand it. There is no mm. other alternative to plastic at the moment. So we have to use that and that's fine and I can accept that. But there's other examples where I don't think it's the right decision or if it is, it, it has to be short term. It can't be something that we just let continue once the pandemic starts to ease. So, I mean, there's lots of things at play within this. And like you said then, you know, people aren't going about their lives day to day and buying lots of disposable items, which is great. But I suspect a lot of those people are just transferring that to what they're buying in their homes. Mm. Uh, and I don't know, I haven't got the science and the stats behind that, but that's just what I assume. I don't really know if, if plastic use will go down. It doesn't look like it is, but time will tell. Yeah. It's really interesting, isn't it? Because as you said, Sarah, like I'm definitely using more plastic than I usually would just because you, you're not shopping where you normally would. And when you do get to the shops, there's not often the things that you want. And it's kind of weird having that out of your control when it's something that, you know, I would normally try and be really good about. Mm. I think the thing with plastic, so obviously then when people do use it, they say, oh, but it's fine because we can recycle it. How how effective is the recycling process with plastic? Because presumably that still has quite a big impact in terms of transporting the plastic to get recycled and then processing it. Terrible. It's just, it's not the solution, unfortunately. So about 9% of what we've ever produced has actually been recycled. Is that all? That's it. It's like ridiculously low. And the infrastructure that we've got in this country for our recycling, the reprocessing is appalling. Um, so when you're sort of buying plastic and saying, I'm, I'm doing good, it's going into recycling. Yes, you are doing good and you're doing absolutely the right thing, but you're within a system that's failing you and failing like the material that's in it. And plastic should have value it does have value and it, especially if it's recycled ocean plastic there's more value placed on that now because a lot of brands are looking to like make their shampoo bottles out of it and it's like really mm. popular um so what we need to do is find a way to create a circular economy so at the moment we live in like a, a, what's called a linear economy so it's all a take make new take make dispose um, and what we want to do is move to an economy that as soon as you buy something it's um it once you've used it it can go back and be basically returned into that product again and then you're not using the extra emissions and carbon that would come from um buying and manufacturing that raw material and putting it into the system um, and it holds its value then and that's great for brands so there's ways for brands to be greener and also as profitable um, but at the moment it's cheaper for them just to keep buying you know more and more raw material which is obviously really horrific for the planet and yeah. um, so there is definitely solutions for it, it they just they just require a complete structural overhaul um, across every industry, and it's massive. Um, but I think what I, well, what I hope the pandemic has taught us now is that leaders can make radical and urgent decisions when it's absolutely critical, and they have to. 
And I think now if we can keep putting the pressure on around not just plastic, but other climate issues, they've proven that they can act. And we just have to make sure that they actually now replicate that in areas that are important for the planet, not just for sort of the economy and and human health. Yeah. And we've also proven that we can, you know, adapt and we don't have to travel all around the world all the time. (laughs) Totally, totally. But I think um, even though we've been in a global lockdown, emissions have only reduced about 5.5%, which is really, really small considering, you know, everyone's been at home, like you've said, there's not been global travel, no transport on the roads. To make, um, to reach the 1.5 goal that we're aiming for over the next 10 years, 1.5%, emissions have to reduce by 7.6%. So even in the state that we're living in now, we have not achieved that, which just goes to show again that this is a huge system failure. It's not like we alone cannot solve this. It has to be done. It has to be led from the top. And Mm. that's what I mean about, um, like we all kind of have a role to play, but there's no point, there's no point finger pointing and placing blame because everyone has to pull together in their own way to get the system to change. Yeah. How do you think is best for everyone to do that in a sort of normal normal non-lockdown society how what would you say was the best sort of way it's kind of a big question that you might, <laughs> might not have the answers to you guys are good at the big question <laughs> um, I think I think what everyone is doing at the moment the sort of um the protests and the pressure it really does work so I've been and I've met with government a couple of times and um you know they're very clear about the fact that the, the pressure keeps momentum high in mm. government it keeps it top of the agenda so although that's not necessarily the approach that I take there's absolutely a place for it and I think as soon as um, industry leaders and government thinks that you know we've moved on to the next trend and we're not really thinking about the environment or plastic or whatever anymore great they're off the hook they can mm. now focus on you know the next thing they want to focus on to make them money so I just think more than anything it's about using social media to keep the conversation going tweeting your mps annoying the hell out of them just keep the conversations moving especially at a time like this where you feel like you can't really do much just take it take it online the same way we've had to take the rest of our lives online yeah. can we vote lizzie for pm yeah, yeah please. <laughs> it all needs to change at the top let's send you to the top lizzie <laughs> um another thing you've kind of briefly touched on it lizzie without without speaking about it but is um greenwashing and how it is kind of the trendy thing for brands to claim sustainability and you know recycled plastics and it's a term that you do see a lot on social media Um, but some people might not be familiar with the concept of greenwashing so can you just explain that a little bit yeah so greenwashing is the sometimes intentional sometimes unintentional acts for a brand to try and position themselves as more environmentally credible than they actually are and um, so you see it quite a lot with fast fashion and you've talked about then um you'll see cap- like capsule collections that are made from recycled plastics or recycled fabrics whilst the rest of the clothing within that brand are made in sweatshops from um, really damaging, environmentally damaging materials, um, not thinking about um, the welfare of any of their employees. So um, it's 
really common, but I think consumers are getting way more savvy to it now. Everyone is asking a lot more questions and really challenging brands a lot more. And brands realize now that, yeah, they can greenwash a bit, but as soon as people get wind of it and it goes digital and it goes on social media and people call it out, um, you know, that they lose it, they lose their reputation and a lot of their credibility. So they have to be really careful. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like, I don't know, like embarrassing to buy those clothes clothes and stuff and being consumer of those brands now isn't it almost yeah Which I think it's be. moving that way I hope it's moving that way like I I feel that but I don't know if it's because that's the world that I exist in yeah so I'm used to it I don't I, I can't I don't know what the mainstream sort of view on it is mm. but I do get a sense now that it is moving in that direction yeah I've, it's kind of, kind of a bit of that eco-anxiety though isn't it like if I've gone to the shops and haven't got enough bags and I can't carry all my items in my arms and I have to get a bag and then I'm like oh my gosh yeah isn't it it's awful (laughs) when the one thing that you really really want is from ASOS I promise I'm gonna love it and use it for 20 years (laughs) (laughs) and that's okay as long as you do but it probably won't last for 20 years because it's been made from ASOS (laughs) yeah true um, so I feel like in every episode now, it's becoming my thing that I quote the guest back to them. <laughs> I love it. You talk on your website about how cancer, for all its downfalls, had given you the quiet confidence to throw yourself into everything wholeheartedly and follow the life you imagined and how you wanted to pursue experiences that gave you a sense of purpose and meaning. And I just think it's so amazing to take something that must have been so frightening and so difficult and to find such a strong silver lining to it. And the fact that, you know, it was because of that that you discovered paddleboarding and because of that that you ended up doing plastic patrol and stuff is so cool. And we were just wondering if you think that you would have got to where you are now if you hadn't have had your cancer diagnosis. I think about that a lot and I don't really know. I'm not sure. I really... I don't think I would have ever had the courage to leave my job if I hadn't been ill. I think as soon as that happened and I was seeing sort of people around me not recovering and not sort of having the fortunate outcome that I did, going back to work, I just felt this overwhelming sense of guilt that I'd survived and yet I was just going back to do this mundane nine till five, feeling really unfulfilled and for what and for who, and knowing that this wasn't, I didn't know what I wanted out of my life. It wasn't like, I, I, I said it there, and I must have written that about four years ago, but I said there the life that I imagined. I don't know what I imagined. I didn't, I just knew that it, I knew that it wasn't what I was doing. Mm. Um, but yeah, I do, I do still think about that. And I, I really don't know the answer, but I think deep down, probably, probably no, I'd still be doing, I don't know if I'd be doing the same job, but I don't think I'd be doing what I'm doing now. That's so inspirational, though, that you can take such a horrific thing that's happened in your life and turned it into the best. Like, well, I mean, I don't know about your personal life, but it's such a, like, I don't, I don't, so I don't want to say it's the best thing that you've done, but it's an amazing thing that you've done. I think, like, that, that took time. So I couldn't even talk about my illness for maybe two or three years after it happened. I couldn't even say the word. So it's not like whilst I was going through that process, I was able to get to the thinking I'm in now. I was definitely like making positive decisions and trying not to let it 
define me. Um, but it's taken a long time to really understand sort of the impact, like the positive impact that it has had on me. Because for a long time, it was just that cancer shit and everything about it shit. Um, and I'd rather not have it. And I, I think I would never, ever want to go through that again. But I'm really grateful for the lessons that I have been able to take away from it on reflection. Yeah. Of and course. To, and to see your life as something to be sort of treasured and, and celebrated is amazing, isn't it? And how, how lucky we are to, to have health. Totally. Like a time like this with the pandemic, like it's been really tough. And then I just think back to my illness and I think the only thing that really truly matters to me now is that people I love and myself, like we're, everyone's healthy. Mm. Like that's when you realise the same with having cancer, like your health sits at the foundation of everything. And if you don't have that, you don't have anything. And um, so everyone can be upset that they can't get their lattes from um, or whatever. <laughs> but actually when you sort of, um, when you distill this, that stuff just really, it's so insignificant and it really doesn't matter. And I think, the same way like cancer was a trauma that I went through and it uh, sort of took me through this journey to where I am now. I think I, I, I wonder if the pandemic will be a very similar experience for other people in a different way, because mm. it is traumatic. It's really shaking people's lives up in ways that you would never imagine. It's completely unprecedented. Um, and I think we'll see a lot of people really questioning um, what's next for them and what sort of future they want because of the learnings from this experience if not straight away over the ne- over the next couple of years yeah so teaching you not to sweat the small stuff and to figure out what what really is important to you and what matters the most suddenly money and holidays and things all seem a bit pales into insignificance yeah, yeah compared to our health I think so let's talk about your healthy habit Lizzie which, and I just have to say that I, I spied on your Instagram because your Instagram is Lizzie outside. And I liked that your bio moved to inside. <laughs> I just have to say that before because I wrote that down and I was like, I really like that. <laughs> I love that. Lizzie inside. Um, <laughs> but let's talk about your healthy habit. Can you tell us what yours is? And obviously it's been, it's changed probably a lot for you during the lockdown. Yeah. I think I sent you a list of a few things. Well, it's kind of this. It could be this. (laughs) Um, So before lockdown, it was definitely paddleboarding. But I wasn't doing it every day, but it was definitely as soon as I knew that I needed um, a bit of time to think, a bit of clarity, a bit of perspective, I'd hit the water. Um, But in lockdown now, because I'm classed as vulnerable, I literally can't really go anywhere. Mm. Um, So I've... um, I've really taken a lot of joy in just watering my plants. Yeah. <laughs> Growing herbs and watering plants. Like there's something I love, always loved house plants. Um, but because I've been like away a lot, like when it's uh from about March onwards with plastic patrol, I'm traveling around the whole of the country and I'm barely at home. And therefore none of my plants or herbs get any love and attention. Um, <laughs> I I give people orders to water them and nobody does. <laughs> it all goes wrong so it's been really nice to just be at home and be able to kind of nurture them every day and see them grow and I actually find it really relaxing and really therapeutic me too Lizzie we'll babysit your plants for you next time you're on the road because Sarah and I are both houseplant obsessed mm-hmm. oh please can you because I really like that means a lot I need someone that takes that like, responsibility for this job and knows like how much it upsets me if they don't do it seriously <laughs> they can come on holiday to our houses <laughs> oh brilliant <laughs> 
good. I'm glad we got that sorted <laughs> and recorded. Lizzie, you also told us another healthy habit, which I think is nice to talk about because I did it last night after you said it, was um, in your face, just like, no idea, which was um, going offline most evenings after 7pm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which I think is really important. Because yesterday I had sort of a weird old day and I was just scrolling so much. And then I saw your healthy habit and I was like, right, 7pm, off. And it really helped me to, to wind down because I think that we do, we're kind of putting a lot of pressure on ourselves to check in with people all the time. Um, and for me, it's been like evenings, I'll speak to my friends, but it was really nice to just have a little bit of like, oh, nothing. If I get one more quiz invitation, I'm going <laughs> to throw myself out the window. Um, yeah, I feel, I do feel that I'm a bit exhausted by screen time at the moment because because of the way the world is now, that's the only, the only way you can work is, you know, you're not having meetings, not doing anything face to face, it's all mm. online. Um, so by the end of the day, I, I don't want to look at my phone anymore. I'm actually sick of looking at it. I'm sick of looking at screens. Um, and I found that my sleep was getting quite disrupted. And I, and I know it's partly because of the anxiety around what's happening and just feeling a bit overwhelmed by it all. And it wasn't helping. And I still don't know how to do this. But with my phone, I get like breaking news notifications um, and I don't know how to turn them off so it's really disruptive because I'm trying to like relax or I don't want to think about stuff and, like breaking news will just like flash up on my phone so I figured if I just stay away from it in the evenings and get away from the noise um it's for me it's been really helpful I definitely don't do it every day because sometimes I work in the evenings or I you know plan to speak to family and friends mm. but when I can I've, I really have found it helpful for me Serena's a big um a big warrior of this aren't you I am I I'm a 7 p.m phone off gal as well and and I know that some people like working in the evenings for me the evening is not a productive time to work so that makes it even easier it means like I get up get all my technological admin done and at seven I turn off my phone to the point that sometimes my mom will be like everything okay why are you ignoring us and I'm like because I just don't want to sit texting and scrolling and reading the news all evening it's exhausting and it makes you feel shit and I think it's really bad for your sleep so I'm so with you I think no phones after well whatever time you know works for you but no phones for a good couple of hours before bed is like the most valuable thing. How possible. long have you been doing that for? Uh, Sarah, how long have I been doing that for? As long as I've known you. A good, a good, maybe a year. And yeah. of course there's like times when you're using your phone for music or something, but yeah. I've been doing it for quite a long time and I love it. Yeah. I do think that once you start removing yourself from tech and sort of the time that you spend online, you realise how much you get from it. Mm. and then like me now it's I don't like I dread looking at my phone now I, I was gonna say you get the dread the next morning and you're like oh I don't want to look at it gee I feel much more aware of my time online as well yeah but I think it's also I think like if you want to limit your tech time it's really good to do one thing at a time so for an hour use your laptop and you're not allowed to look at your phone and then vice versa because everything takes longer if you're skipping between them and actually if you are kind of efficient with your use of each device then overall you will spend less time on which is nice yeah yeah I try and when I'm doing stuff on my laptop I try and leave my phone in another room mm. because what I've noticed I was doing and um, 
is whilst I'm sort of busy working away, if I get stuck on something or I need to think about something, I'll just pick up my phone as a default. And it's like, no, no, I need to work through whatever this problem is or it's not going to get done. So the phone has to be now removed from this situation so that I can actually be productive with work. Yeah, bad habits. Sarah, how's your tech usage? Mine's gone, I think mine's gone down the last few weeks and it's the best thing ever, isn't it? When you, um, when you've been doing something in the house and then you're like, I haven't looked at my phone for a couple of hours. That is so nice. (laughs) And then you look and you're like, Oh no, no one's actually messaged me. (laughs) But, um, tending to my balcony and my plants is a nice welcome distraction. I'm not sure if this is something that I got off a podcast guest or off like a client or a friend or something, but there was someone who told me that they treat their phone like a landline. And so they leave it in one place. Wasn't it so, was it Sophie Elliott? Yeah. If someone, someone recently has told me that, and I love it, the idea that your phone is a landline, so you don't carry your phone around with you. If you want to use it, you go to it. And half the time, because we're lazy, we don't get up and go to it. We're like, mm. oh, I don't need that. Yeah, that's really good. I've, for a long, long time, apart from these notifications that I can't turn off, um, <laughs> I have my phone on silent mm. all the time. And I love it. I hate, I hate the thought of when someone messages you that you're just like a bitch to your phone and you then respond to that immediately. It's like, mm. I want to, I want to own it. I want to look at my phone when I want to, rather than like responding to a noise that it makes. And yeah. um, having it on silence, I've done, I've done it. It's sometimes problematic. It's got me in sort of sticky situations because I needed my phone on. Um, but overall, yeah, I really love not having any noise on that thing. Me too. Me too. Phone yeah, noise is the worst. Strong boundaries. Yes. <laughs> Lizzie, you are honestly absolutely incredible such an inspiration yeah you're so wonderful and what you're doing is just completely and utterly brilliant and um we urge everyone listening to download plastic patrol app and get helping and sign our petition to get lizzie in parliament (laughs) thank you so so much for joining us lizzie it's been an absolute pleasure getting to chat to you Thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed it. It's flown by. No phones. No phones. <laughs> Have a really great rest of your day, Lizzie, and enjoy the recipe. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you so much, Lizzie. I think everyone can agree she is an absolute inspiration. I was. I think I had goosebumps the majority of that episode. It was so powerful, so important, and she's just wonderful. She is. I'm definitely going to put Don my marigolds and next time I go out dog walking, make sure I do some litter picking and send her the pics. Yeah. And if anybody would like to hear more from some wonderful eco-warriors that we've interviewed, make sure you check out both Venetia Faulkner's episode on slowing down our fashion consumption and Sophie Hellier talking about plastic-free periods. If you want the recipe for this week's episode that we made for Lizzie, you can head to our Instagram at Kitchen Club Podcast and you can cook along. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.